Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast here on a Monday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast, doing things a little bit differently uh, today. We're actually going to divide this up into two parts uh, with you know the playoffs this weekend and, and then, of course, uh, the holiday. We decided to uh, just take this podcast, divide it up into two, so you're going to get two Hey MKs uh, coming up here today and then uh, probably about midday tomorrow on Tuesday, part two will post. So these questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. And let's get right to it, Mary Kay. As you can imagine, there are a lot of questions about the defensive coordinator. I thought this was actually an interesting angle on it, though. Deshaun Watson at quarterback and how it affects the defense. So this comes from Wes Daniels in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Mary Kay. How does having Deshaun Watson at quarterback shift what is needed on the defensive side of the ball? Are there scheme adjustments or different philosophies needed now that the offense is going to be shaped more around Watson's talent? And and I kind of assume the meaning here is it's a little more high powered, maybe a little faster paced, maybe a little more pass heavy. How does that affect the defense? It's a really good question. Uh, I have thought about the defensive coordinators, some of them at least in terms of how, uh, you know, how connected they might be to Deshaun, how, you know, do they know him? Do they not? Uh, you know, because so much of what this team is all about now uh, is going to center around Deshaun Watson. So I do think that the hiring of the defensive coordinator uh, will be something that has some part of Deshaun connected to it in some way. Um, but in terms of schematically, I don't know that it matters much if you play uh, a defense that blitzes a lot, or if you play a three, four, as opposed to a four, three or a wide nine or any of those kinds of things. I don't think it's really that as much as it is, uh, you know, culture fit and, you know, just personality fit within the organization. Uh, I think they have to get all that right. I think they need, um, someone, who is a good teacher, someone who brings uh, a lot of passion to the job, someone who can pull together what I think is kind of a splintered defense right now. And they have some really intriguing candidates. Um, out of all the four candidates, and we're talking about Jim Schwartz, we're talking about Sean Desai, who, as we tape this, is actually interviewing right now in Berea. Uh, we are talking about Brian Flores 
And we are talking about Denard Wilson, the current passing game, defensive passing game coordinator of the Eagles. So they've got some really good candidates. Um, only two of them have coordinator experience per se. Two of them have held the job of coordinator. Now, Brian Flores did have that job of, you know, of calling the defensive plays in his last season in New England before he took over as head coach of the Dolphins, but he didn't actually have the title, curiously. Um, so, you know, they don't have anybody except for Jim Schwartz, who has been a defensive coordinator for a long period of time. Uh, but they've got some young guys. They've got one older guy in Jim Schwartz. They've got two guys that have been head coaches before. So it's kind of a good mix, a good cross-section of, of, of candidates. Um, in terms of knowing Deshaun, one connection uh, that we know for sure is Brian Flores. He, you know, the Dolphins tried it, tried to trade for Deshaun Watson. And I, I was told that Deshaun really liked Brian Flores and wanted to pair with him. So um, I think that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on as we go throughout the process. Um, but other than that, I don't think from a schematic standpoint uh, that it matters too much what kind of a defense you play. Okay, so let's get into these coordinators then. And this comes from Jordan in Wakeman, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, what defensive coordinator do you think is likely to come to Cleveland and stay, well, he puts a big window of years on this, stay for the next five to 10 years. That's pretty, you'd be pretty fortunate to have a good coordinator for five to 10 years. But which of these guys do you look at and see as maybe a long-term option at that position? Yeah, you're right about the fact that, I mean, if the coordinator is that good, he's not going to last five years. It's just not going to happen like that. And teams recognize that. And I do think it is a little bit of a consideration when they are hiring this particular coordinator uh, to, to ask themselves, is he going to be around more than a year? Because, I mean, if you hire Brian Flores and he has a good year, there's a chance he isn't going to be around after that one year. If you hire a younger guy like a Denard Wilson, chances are that he will be around for a couple of years because, you know, one year as a coordinator probably isn't going to be enough for him to necessarily prove himself uh, and become that hot head coaching candidate. Sean Desai, I mean, Sean Desai is, you know, is a pretty intriguing prospect. I've uh, been doing a little bit more due diligence on him today. Uh, he's very, very smart. Players really like him. He's got a lot of uh, teaching in his background. He's got a doctorate. You know, there are a lot of cool things about him. Uh, he's been a coordinator. He spent one year as coordinator of the Bears. So he's got that experience. Nobody seems to be clamoring for him as a head coaching candidate this year. So I think he does need to get back into the job and reestablish himself as a coordinator. So I think you could probably get away with all of them sticking around for more than one year, except for maybe Brian Flores. Jim Schwartz doesn't really have head coaching aspirations, I don't think, at this point in his career. Desai and Wilson might be, you know, a couple years out from really people coming after them uh, as that head coaching candidate. So Brian Flores, he's been head coach before, uh, trying to rehabilitate his career and get himself back on track. He's probably someone that you would have to worry about losing after one season. And, you know, this is something I feel like Browns fans worry a lot about. I know when this team went to the playoffs, we got a lot of questions about this, you know, assistance leaving and, and all of that. But, like, that, that's just kind of the cost of being good. And that's a really good problem to have. Um, you know, you're not seeing Browns assistants 
on these lists of, of coaching and coordinator candidates right now. And it's because the team wasn't very good and, and they were disappointing. So it's a good problem to have if your team is good and you have assistants that are getting job interviews. What you need to be able to do is, you know, build up behind them so that you have a situation where, you know, Brian Dable gets hired away by the Giants and you've got Ken Dorsey, you know, ready to step in and, and call plays. You just have to you just have to plan for it and, and kind of know what you're looking for. Yeah, your coaching staff has to be very deep and strong. And those young guys that you hire, you have to see something or those young females that you hire, uh, you have to see something in there in them that tells you they have the potential to be position coaches and then coordinators and head coaches because they're probably going to move up the ranks very quickly if you are a good regime. And that's what Bill Belichick has had to do all of these years. He's had to keep kind of funneling them through. But if you get the right kind of guys, you get the right kind of guys or females in there, uh, you know, then they're going to be able to adapt to their new roles very quickly and take over for the person that was in front of them without needing five years to learn the role. So that's what the Browns are probably going to have to do. They're going to have to make sure uh, that they've got three or four other people on their staff. Now, unfortunately for them, they didn't seem to feel they had that person to come in here and, and replace Joe Woods. Now, this was different. This wasn't he left and took a coordinator job somewhere else or a head coach job somewhere else. They fired him. So this has a little bit of a different spin on it. But still, you would almost think that somebody on that staff would have warranted a defensive coordinator interview. And quite frankly, I'm surprised that not one of them got one. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that they should have had four or, or five other guys on the staff that that could interview for that job. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that, that they aren't even interviewing somebody um, that I found that very I found that very intriguing. And I actually wonder if maybe that's part of why they didn't fire Joe Woods in the middle of the season. Like mm -hmm. they just they didn't think any of those guys were ready to take on that role, which, again, is surprising because I think there are some guys, you know, I'm like Chris Kiffin or Jason Tarver or someone like that who could have, I mean, I think Tarver's been a coordinator before even um, mm -hmm. like there, there seems like there's guys that at least could have taken over on an interim basis or at least could have just merited an interview if nothing else. Yeah. So I think they have to be um, cognizant of that. I think they have to be making sure that they stock their staff because over the next four or five years, they plan to do a lot of winning. And if it goes the way they plan, they're not going to be keeping uh, some of their best coaches. So uh, hopefully for them, they'll, um, you know, they'll get it right with this defensive hire. I think it's really, really important. It really is very vitally important to get this right. And then they have to make sure that either he's bringing on some guys that he really likes and sees some things in, or they have to help him with that. But you have to have a, a stable of good quality coaches coming up through the pipeline. All right, our next question, uh, this comes from, I don't know if I have a name. Oh, here we go. Brian from Mini, uh, Brian from Minnesota, one of our, our regulars here. He's got a question about Kevin Stefanski and the attractiveness of this role. So, hey, Mary Kay, how attractive is this role if defensive coordinator candidates look at it and see Kevin on perhaps a short leash? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's another very, very good question. And in fact, um, you know, I asked Deshaun Watson that on his, you know, getaway day press conference, you know, how do you feel about the stability of the coaching staff here? And he was, of course, very, very positive of, of, about it. He's is very high on Kevin Stefanski, but I think it is something uh, that a young coach has to think about uh, because, you know, if you're going to come here, you're going to take a risk. You're going to uh, maybe give up other opportunities. You're going to, in some cases, move your young children here and enroll them in schools and bring your wife and, or your husband or whatever. I keep saying uh, the only candidates right now are, are men. So I guess I can keep it to that. Um, but, you know, you, you move your, kids, your family, your wife here. And then you do have to think about, is this going to be a long-term proposition? So um, the person who takes the job is is going to have to know that. I mean, it's the business. It doesn't really matter for the most part where you go, unless you're going to New England, or maybe if you're going to Pittsburgh uh, to work under Mike Tomlin, you know that you have some really great job security there. Again, you have some great job security in New England, but in most places, on most teams, you really don't. And you never know what can happen from year to year. You can go from coach of the year to on your way out in a hurry. So um, so I do think it's a consideration for, for these guys. Now, I do think it is an attractive job from the standpoint uh, that they do have a, a lot of good young talent and they have the money and the desire to add to this defense. So, you know, they're going to go out and they're going to get a defensive end to replace Jadavian Clowney. They really have to do that. And then they have to get a defensive tackle, a really good defensive tackle, either in free agency or in the draft or in a trade or whatnot. So I think you can feel good about some of the really, you know, up and coming young guys that you have. You can look at this roster and you can point to JOK and Greg Newsom and Grant Delpit and Martin Emerson you know, Perion Winfrey needs to keep maturing, but, you know, he is exhibiting some signs of being able to contribute in a big way inside there. So I think it's an attractive job from a talent standpoint, uh, but from a stability standpoint, there are no guarantees uh, almost anywhere in this NFL. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's really the, the gist of it. Like this, you, there's 32 of these jobs. There's 32 defensive coordinator jobs. And if you get an opportunity to take one, especially if you're a young guy, like if you're Brian Flores, you can wait. If, if you kind of look at this situation, you're like, you know, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. You know, you can wait and you'll find another job, maybe even a head coaching job uh, someplace else. But if you're a young guy climbing the ladder and you get that opportunity, um, yeah, you, you know, you've you've got to take it. I mean, look, look in Denver, you know, their defensive coordinator is – is, is getting head coaching interviews and their head coach got fired. So you can excel in a situation where things maybe aren't ideal. Um, it, you don't have to go somewhere where you're going to be there for four or five years. You just have to go there and show that you can do the job and do it well. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That, you know, that is the name of the game. I mean, look at uh, Sean Desai only lasted one year at court, you know, as coordinator for the bears before Matt Nagy got fired and then he had to find new work. So, you know, they took him on in Seattle, made him an associate head coach, defensive assistant. And now here he is back out on the circuit, uh, getting a defensive coordinator opportunity with the Cleveland Browns. So, um, 
So I do think that, you know, you just kind of have to dive in and you have to take these chances knowing what the NFL, what the NFL is about. What have you done for me lately? How many games have you won lately? Uh, So I think they all understand and know that. I mean, if you've got five opportunities, sure, you can pick the, the best one, but it's not always like that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, a question about the run defense. This um, this comes from, doesn't look like we have a name here. Uh, hey, Mary Kay. I, along with many Browns fans, were extremely frustrated with the Browns' lack of a run defense. Uh, and then this person watched the Bengals-Ravens game last night. Uh, while the Barry de Podesta regime might have been justified in their approach when looking at the NFL as a whole, how does a team in the AFC North, a team that has to face Pittsburgh and Baltimore twice a year, not invest heavily in stopping the run. Oh, here we go. There's a name buried in here. It's Rich, an Akron native and a 33-year New York City resident. And most importantly, a loyal Cleveland.com sports reader. All right. Thank you, Rich. Um, So, you know, it's a good question. And I think what happened was, I think Andrew Barry and the personnel department felt that they had addressed the defensive tackle position enough to make improvement over last year. They signed Taven Bryan, uh, who had some experience uh, as, as a defensive tackle. They drafted Perrion Winfrey in the fourth round, thinking that he was going to be able to contribute early on, not realizing that he needed to mature uh, way more than they anticipated. Uh, so it took him a long time. He wasn't able to be just plugged right in there and, and make an impact right away like they thought he would. And then from a linebacker standpoint, uh, they thought that they were pretty well set at linebacker with, you know, Anthony Walker starting in there in the middle and then JOK, uh, you know, coming out and having a, a better second season. Jacob Phillips, they were excited about him. Uh, wherever he ended up on the field, you know, weak side, middle, whatever the case may be. I'm sure they, they thought, you know, they were real solid with Sione Takitaki there as well. And they just felt like they were going to be okay. And as the season went along, many of those things just kind of fell through. Obviously, the uh, the defensive Jordan Elliott. Oh, Jordan Elliott was another one where we heard all offseason how great Jordan Elliott was going to be. And this was his first full season as a starter. And it just doesn't always happen the way that you want it to. He needed time. Now, in his second full season next year as a starter, uh, you know, he might grade out really well and be a much better defensive tackle. But uh, the learning curve was much greater than they thought it was going to be. So you put all of these things into the hopper, and it just didn't work out. It just didn't go well. Then then you add into the mix, and I think this is very key. You add into the mix that your best edge setter in Jadavian Clowney just wasn't on board with the program all season long. He was not on board. 
Um, and so not only did he take himself off the field for most of the game in Baltimore, 23-20 loss in October, but then he was benched for the first part of the next game. And obviously he was just not that into it and did not put his heart and soul uh, into stopping the run. And I think that you add all of those things up and it was kind of a recipe for a really bad run defense. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think, I, I guess the, the proof will be in the pudding as we move forward. Are they going to address this differently this year? Um, last year, it was just, they're going to rely on, you know, hey, we really like Jordan Elliott. We're going to let him see what he can do. We're going to take a flyer on Taven Bryan. He was a former first round pick. Um, th- I mean, they didn't invest a ton in the position necessarily, but th- they seemed to like what they had. So, and, and it just didn't work. So it's either going to be like, hey, we tried last year and it just didn't work, so we're going to try something different. Or, you know, if they run it back, that's a concern. If they kind of say, yeah, we're going to do the same thing again and, and kind of cross our fingers and see what happens, that's a problem. But if they go out this offseason and they fix it, then I, I guess it's almost like a, like a footnote what happened this past season. Yeah, they, they can't run it back. I mean, we know they can't run it back. They've got to upgrade their run defense in, in some way or they'll get themselves run out of town. So they absolutely have to do that. And they know that they have to do that. I don't think it's uh, anything that anybody has to, you know, beat them over the head with by any stretch of the imagination. They can see what's going on and they can see that. I mean, if you just, if three or four of those things had happened differently, if Jordan Elliott lives up to expectations, if Perion Winfrey comes in and contributes, if, if uh, Jadavian Clowney, you know, just, doesn't kind of give up on the whole program. Uh, And if Anthony Walker doesn't get hurt, I mean, it's a whole different run defense, whole different run defense. And then they lost more linebackers after that. Of course, Jacob Phillips, JOK, and on and on. So, but they still have to address it. And I think the way they need to address it again is a number two edge that can set the edge, uh, a really good premier defensive tackle, which I would spend money on and make a priority in the off season. I don't know if Deron Payne will make it to free agency, but he's the guy that I would go for and target number one overall and jump all over that from the commanders. Um, but yeah, I, I, they cannot run it back. There's, that's not going to happen. And they have to address it in a significant, in a significant way. Yeah, and, and I think one of the big problems was, um, I mean, you mentioned those ifs, right? If this happens, then it's different. And I just think when, like, kind of hearing those, you, you sort of want, okay, like, if Jadavion Clowney is better, well, you kind of know, like, like you kind of know what you're getting into with Jadavion Clowney. So it it was a risk to bring him back for a second year. Mm-hmm. You, you just sort of know that's been his history. Um, say, like, if Jordan Elliott is this and you know that's fair let your guy develop but we just we hadn't seen it from Jordan Elliott yet a lot of those ifs certainly could have worked out mm-hmm. you know if Perrion Winfrey comes in and and contributes but then at the same time he fell to the fourth round right it, they just relied too much I think on some of those ifs that if you really looked at it, it you kind of saw eh, the odds are sort of more in the favor of those ifs not working out. And unfortunately they all just kind of didn't work out. They didn't even get like one lucky break go their way. I know. I mean, when you think about it, yeah, like you said, um, 
not one of them worked out the way that they hoped. Even if you just had been able to keep Anthony Walker on the field, that would have made a big difference in your run defense. You know, you know what I mean? But all of those things went wrong. All of them went wrong in the same season. And even though I do think you, you do know what you're getting with Jadavian Clowney, I don't know if they thought it was going to be that bad. I, unless it was that bad last year and they just said, you know what, we're going to deal with it because we can get eight sacks out of the guy or seven sacks out of the guy. I don't know how you can put up with somebody taking themselves out of a football game and just refusing to play the game in a close division game that could have meant the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. I mean, in fact, at that point, I know plenty of coaches in the NFL that would have cut them right there. Just cut them. So, you know, I, I don't know that they anticipated that that was going to be as bad as it was. But like you said, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. It was going to be, you know, less than perfect. It was going to be less than perfect with, with Jadavian Clowney. And then I really, I mean, think about what we heard about Jordan Elliott in the off season from Chris Kiffin, uh, from Joe Woods, from everybody. I mean, people really thought that he was, he was just going to knock it out of the park, like right from the start. So, you know, that was probably an, you know, an over evaluation of, of what he was going to be capable of. So, you know, they really need to take a look at that this year. And they also really need to listen to their new coordinator about these things and hear what he has to say about the talent that they have now. And he can't be afraid to really tell it like it is that all of that has got to stop from everyone in this organization. So I want to go back to the Jadavion thing and the not going in on third downs and the way the Browns reacted. So we obviously put two and two together mid press conference and figured out like, Oh, he didn't start the next game against Cincinnati Mm -hmm. and and he sat out that series. And at the time we didn't have a good explanation for that. Um, We we just kind of knew it was a punishment thing. Same thing happened to miles. I, I guess like, I mean, you know, you said, I mean, there's some coaches, there's some GMs that the minute that happens, like mm-hmm. you're gone, we're, we're done. Like this is oh, over. Yeah. And the Browns kind of, I, I don't know. I feel like that's sort of a soft punishment, even, even when they did it to miles. And I know they find miles too. It just feels like, eh, you, you didn't want to play on third downs. You're just not going to start that. You're just not going to play the first series <laughs> this next week. I don't know. I don't know if that sends I, I mean, it obviously didn't to Jadavian. I don't know if that sends much of a message, honestly. Bill Parcells would have cut him. I mean, Bill Belichick probably would have cut him, right? I mean, I, I just think that at that point, they were probably almost desperate for that number two edge. You can't go out in the middle of the season and find somebody that can give you that kind of production. And I think some of it was, okay, well, we know we have to put up with uh, certain things from Jadavian, but you know, it will be worth it with the production that we get on the field. Um, But I think that was so much obviously worse than anybody thought it was going to be. And I do think that you need, truthfully, you need way more discipline than missing a start in, in your next game. You need that. That is not harsh enough whatsoever. It, it did basically nothing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that why they went so easy on him there. I don't understand it. And it, it was not the right way to go about that. And, and you wonder what kind of message it sends to your locker room too. 
I mean, guys, mm-hmm. guys knew guys knew what he did, and and the punishment is he gets benched for a series on Halloween. Obviously, Miles is. Di- I mean, you're not going to cut Miles. You're not going to. You know, that's a kind of a different discussion. But even that felt like sort of a a, a soft ish punishment um, for Miles if he's you know if if it's something about communication or whatever. I don't know. Um, I, I I do just wonder with the JD thing what kind of message that sends to some of the younger guys. Like we know Perion Winfrey needed to sort of be guided and have his hand held. And he actually was um, essentially suspended for a game. So what message does it send that, that Jadavian only plays third downs in a game and just has to sit out a series? Yeah, I, Unfortunately for them, they didn't have anybody behind him that they could plug in and have him get to the quarterback. If they did, maybe they would have handled things differently. But at that point, I think they must have felt that they just were over a barrel with him. Uh, they had given him the money, um, you know, and, and they just didn't felt obviously that maybe they just didn't have a choice. But that's certainly not enough of a punishment for that. And I do think it trickled down to the other players because um, after that, first of all, after that game uh, is the game in which we had screaming players in the locker room. Okay. I don't know if Jadavian was part of that or not. I was initially told that that was um, members of the secondary that were screaming like that. And that miles kind of broke that up. So I don't know if Jadavian was part of that or not. I I don't know. It, It would seem to make sense that that would have had something to do with Jadavian not playing in that game. Maybe the secondary players were yelling about that, right? I mean, we don't really know. So, um, so that's that. And then, um, you know, there were other disciplinary issues that occurred after that. Would those have occurred had Jadavian not done what he did? You know what I mean? I mean, would guys have fallen in line more? I think so. I'm going to I'm going to say yes on that right now. I think you follow your leaders on the team. And if your leader is disgruntled, then maybe you're going to be disgruntled. If your leader doesn't go in for a game, then maybe you can get away with it too. Maybe you you know, if you don't like that you don't get I remember who was it? There was a game. Oh. I'm not going to mention names, but I've, there have been, there has been a player in the past that didn't go in on, in the fourth quarter. Cause they were like, forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, that's, that's happened on this team before. So if you see that you can do that and get away with it, then, and, or your star defensive player gets away with it, then you're going to try to pull something too. So they need to pull this all back together and, and have someone that's going to have a firm hand. Now, when I think about that, I think of a guy like Jim Schwartz. I mean, he, he would not put up with anything like that. There is no way that Jim Schwartz would put up with anything like that. He comes from uh, the Bill Belichick school. I mean, he was here in Cleveland from 1993 to 1995, starting out as a pro scout. He learned the Belichick way. Brian Flores learned the Belichick way. Um, you know, these guys are, are not going to put up with this sort of thing. And, uh, and I'll tell you that that's what this defense needs. This defense needs a firm hand going forward. 
Okay, that'll do it for part one of our Hey MK podcast here. Uh, those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. Uh, part two is coming up. We've got some questions about personnel, uh, a certain name that people want to know if the Browns might have an interest in, uh, and some other things coming up in part two of the Hey Mary Kay podcast that I'll post uh, probably about midday on Tuesday. So until then, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.